Before we get started with this wonderful episode that I love so much, I just want to take a moment to deliver a special holiday message from me to you. Hello everyone, Brandy here. Happy Holidays. I hope this message finds you wrapped in the warmth of the season, surrounded by loved ones and filled with joy. Whether you're listening to the crackling of a cozy fire or deep into the hustle and bustle of holiday festivities, I'm thrilled to be a part of your moment right here in your ears. First and foremost, from the bottom of my heart, I want to wish each and every one of you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a delightful Kwanzaa, and a joyous celebration of whatever fills your spirit with light during this time of year. May the upcoming days be filled with laughter, love, and all the things that make the holiday season truly joyful for you. And speaking of joy, I want to take a moment to express my deepest gratitude Thank you for inviting me into your life, for sharing your time with this podcast. It's been an incredible journey, and I can hardly believe we're nearing our 150th episode. What a ride it has been, filled with insightful conversations, laughter, and moments that have left us all a bit more enlightened. I'm thrilled to share that we are about to hit a huge milestone with the Quilter on Fire podcast. By the end of January, we will hit half a million downloads for all time. Can you believe it? It's a testament to the amazing community we've built together. And I'm beyond thankful for your continued support. Your feedback, messages, and reviews have fueled this journey, and I can't wait to see where the next 150 episodes take us. Now, as we approach the end of the year, I want to assure you that the best is yet to come. We have some incredible guests lined up, each with unique stories and perspectives that I know you'll find as fascinating as I do. From famous quiltpreneurs and innovators to everyday quilters with extraordinary tales, we're bringing you the best of the best in 2024. But before we step into the future, let's not forget the past. Our archive is a treasure trove of conversations that span a multitude of topics from inspiring stories to practical advice and everything in between. So as you enjoy the holiday season, I invite you to browse through our previous episodes. Trust me, you don't want to miss a thing. As we say goodbye to 2023, I invite you to keep on listening in the new year. Keep those headphones close because 2024 promises even more engaging discussions, profound insights, and perhaps a few surprises along the way. Your support means the world to me. Now, let's get into this wonderful episode with Jackie Gearing. Do you want to know a little more about the featured speaker for QuiltCon 2024? Well, stay tuned. Today, I'll have a chat with Jackie Gearing. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories, the connections, and the joy of guests in the quilting world. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. My guest today is Jackie Gearing. I first met Jackie outside her classroom at QuiltCon 2021, I think, a couple years ago. And we sat down to chat for just a few minutes, and I knew instantly that she would be put 
firmly on my dream podcast guest list. She has been a feature in the modern quilting world from the beginning, involved in QuiltCon from the start, and we will explore all of that for you today. Jackie Gearing is a modern art quilter who likes to rethink quilting by listening and finding her own voice and translating that into textiles. She's known for her bold messages in quilting that make the viewers stop and think about what's happening in the world and how they can make a difference. She has accomplished so much in her quilting career, and she is a sought-after teacher and speaker, especially for walking foot quilting. And I can't wait to see what she brings to the stage this year at QuiltCon 2024. So let's explore the story of Jackie Gearing. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brandy. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, it's going to be so fun. I cannot wait to get to know you a little better, learn more about you, and I can't wait to see you at QuiltCon. So let's take a little look back at where you got started. When do you first remember putting stitch to fabric? Well, I put stitch to fabric as a kid, sewing garments, but I wasn't very good at it. And I really didn't like it very much at all. And so I had a long dearth of no sewing at all. And I didn't start quilting until 2009. And I discovered quilting through the work of the G's Bend quilts. And I just decided one day I wanted to be a quilter. Oh, that is so great. And G's Bend has been an inspiration for so many people. What was it that really sang to you? You know, it's interesting because my family is Mennonite and quilts are part of um, the Mennonite tradition, though for me, they were just blankets and I really didn't notice them. I went to a G's Bend exhibit and, you know, there was something, I mean, I, I love quilts in general, but there was something about those quilts that had a, a spirit. And I say this hopefully respectfully, but it was quirky and and kind of oddball to me. And it, it just felt alive and interesting. And so I started to dig into, you know, what were these quilts and who were these people and and how did these get made? And so it it just intrigued me and it sparked something in me that other quilts didn't. Yeah, there's something there that I think sings to a lot of people. So were there certain people in your life that had a creative impact early on? Oh, yeah. Well, both my mom and my dad, honestly. My mom literally never met a craft she didn't like. She tried everything from wood burning to ceramics. And at the end of her life, we had a legacy of paintings from my mom. But she was willing to tackle anything. My dad was also a maker. And really, I think it was my dad that influenced me the most because my dad was a woodworker by hobby. and. You know, he always involved all of us kids in that process. And, you know, I learned so many skills from him and to tackle things on my own and to be creative and to solve problems. And all of those things are kind of who I am as a quilter today. Yeah. And speaking of quilts, I want to get into your first recollection of making a quilt. So can you tell us about your very first quilt that you remember? Oh, gosh. So I'm pretty sure it had to be one of 
Well, I think the very first quilt I made was a baby quilt for my grand nephew. And I didn't know anything about quilting. I just kind of put two pieces of fabric together and I hand quilted it. I hand quilted it because I that's what I knew in my own family. And that's what I thought all of you were doing. So I did it too and sent that off. And that was really my very first quilt. Oh, and how did your love for quilting blossom from there? Were you just absolutely hooked after that first one? Uh, so, so I'm, I love creativity, right? And so I quit my job to do this teaching and being a principal and being an educational consultant was all a very creative profession to me, but creativity is really important to me. And quilting just gave me this opportunity to be the artist that I think I always wanted to be. I didn't know that at the beginning, but really that's what happened. Yeah. So you had a career. Let's just talk about your career for this. That's a big deal. You were a principal. So let's talk about that for a minute. So I was a teacher for a long time. I was an elementary school principal. I was an educational consultant. I've worked in a lot of jobs in education. I ended my career working as a consultant for a nonprofit, educational nonprofit, teaching overage non-readers, kids in high school who like read at third grade level, teaching their teachers how to teach those kids how to read in high school. Yeah. I was traveling all over the country. It was a tough job. It was a tough job. And very honestly, I was tired of traveling. I kind of stumbled into quilting and decided to make it my career. Yeah. So did you dabble in quilting all along throughout your career and then make the big shift once you retired? No. (laughs) And I actually never retired. I just left my job. And actually, I just quit my job (laughs) without another one. (laughs) And my husband asked me one day, you know, we can't just sit around here. It's time to make some money and and get a job. And I told him, I said, well, I think I'm going to be a quilter. I'd never touched a sewing machine in front of him. He just had no, but he just said, you go, girl, just go. So I did. That's really brave. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your quilting style over time. So you mentioned your first influence as G's Bend. And did you start off modern and just explode with that? Or did you change your style over the, over the period of your quilting career? My style has definitely become more refined over time. I've always loved modern. I mean, my aesthetic at home, in my home, for myself, has always had that kind of modern edge to it. But in the quilting world, I really started out very traditional. I participated in Amanda Jean Nyberg's Quilt Alongs. Amanda Jean is known as Crazy Mom Quilts online. And I found Amanda Jean and she was doing these quilt alongs and they were very traditional, but it taught me a lot of skills. I remember especially doing the star quilt along, you know, where it was all, I don't know, probably 12 different stars, traditional. But even with Amanda Jean's quilt alongs, you know, I didn't lay them out in a grid. Like, I mean, I just, I played with things, but that was really how I learned. And I always like to tell people that tradition really is my touchstone. It's kind of where my heart lives. And then I move from there. Okay. So let's take a break from the timeline of quilting and, and talk about where are you living now and who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? 
So we just moved from what, 30 days ago. So we bought a house and have moved into this new place in Kansas City, Missouri. We live right on the east side of downtown in this wonderfully diverse, kind of quirky, wonderful neighborhood. And uh, I share my house with my husband, Steve, of more years than I can count, our little dog, Olive. And then I have two sons, Benjamin and Jonathan, and their two wife and partner, Courtney and Carissa. And they are my kind of core family. Wow. And they are in the music industry, you're saying. So my youngest son is in the music industry still. My oldest son was and is no longer. Um, But we're a pretty creative family um, overall. My husband can't sing a note, but he makes up the most wonderful songs. Oh, how sweet. Okay, so and I have a little side note here that your family is Canadian and you had an invitation once to live in Canada. Oh, yeah. So my family is Canadian. Our family farm is in Manitoba, right outside of Gretna. And I have relatives all over Canada. And when I taught in Vancouver for the Canadian quilt show, it was during the pandemic and kind of, you know, weird times. And a quilter, I think she emailed me and she said, you know, Jackie, we love you. And we would all welcome you into the country if you want to leave the United States. I was like, it's, you know, it's great to know that somebody has a home for me outside of this country. <laughs> but yeah. that really does feel like home to me. Yeah, that is so true. And I grew up in Manitoba, so I know about the frozen tundra of the winters there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's dive into your website. Your website is called Jackie Gearing Rethink Quilting. So what do you offer to the world in the way of a creator-run business? So, you know, my business really takes many forms. Publishing, teaching, coaching, you know. So I've tried to have this kind of multiple-legged business so that I can support myself. Mm -hmm. And teaching really has been kind of the core and heart of that business. And I mean, I've just been really lucky that I've taught hundreds and hundreds of really fun folks. And, and, and that's really kind of been my joy of, of the business part, because honestly, I don't enjoy the business, the numbers, the spreadsheets, the taxes, all of those kind of things. (laughs) So the teaching kind of sustains me along with the making. Yeah. And there's something on your website I want to read. It is such a great quote. So I'm just going to read it and then we can chat about it afterwards. Okay. So the quote is, my goal is to rethink quilting by finding and articulating my own voice. Ultimately, it's about me alone in my studio, creating my own process and expressing my preferences in my work. Simple, bold, graphic, impactful. Quilts are life represented quilts are personal. Now, I love that quote so much. So I just wanted to chat with you about it for a moment because it's just so impactful. So one of the, and so that has developed over time and with experience. Uh, And, you know, when I started, I literally looked in the mirror and said, I am an artist, simply declared it. And that confidence that you hear in that statement 
right? Developed over time. But now as an artist, I am not afraid to stand alone, right? And and really that's important to me. I don't want to make what other people make. I want to make Jackie Gehring quilts, right? And And so it's not that I'm not inspired or influenced by others, but it comes through this filter, right? And in my attempt to create something new, I do believe everything is a remix. You know, (laughs) there's, there's not much originality kind of out in the world. And, and it's really, it's not, not about being original. It's about finding your own voice and expressing that voice in your own way. And so that that really has come over time, but it's something that I'm really proud of too. Yeah. And one thing I really pull from that, that I think is sometimes missing in our culture when people want to be able to be an expert instantly. One thing I'm really pulling from that quote is that you've done the work alone in your studio, like you've really invested in yourself. And I think that's really powerful. You know, I've learned that from really a lot of people over time and a lot of books that I've read about artists and about the creative process. And to a person, they all say, it's about doing the work. It's about going into your studio every day. I put my shoes on (laughs) and then I'm at work. You know, and it's about doing the work and hard work. And sometimes it's a struggle. I used to, and I tell this story, I used to think that creative people had this, you know, magic moment, like this lightning strike would happen and creativity would flow out. And very honestly, that's bull. (laughs) Creativity is simply a slog. It's going into your studio every day and it's trying stuff. And sometimes you succeed. Sometimes you create great stuff and sometimes you fail miserably, Mm -hmm. but you get back up and you go back in the studio next day and you do hard work. And sometimes it's just enough to sew two pieces of fabric together. But that's doing the work. Or sometimes I just sit in my orange chair and I look at the design wall and I think, how can I quilt this? You know, and it's, but it's work. And I've put in the work. Yeah. And I love how you made that bold statement just a minute ago about I am an artist because actually doing the work is kind of like an antidote to the whole imposter syndrome thing that everyone's like, I have imposter syndrome. I don't think I'm really an artist, but making that statement and doing that work, I think that's really the solution, right? Well, and it's also, you know, confidence doesn't happen immediately either, but you also don't, don't get it from other people's approval. You get it from here, right? From succeeding and creating what you love, not what other people love. And it's taken me time and experience to understand that and to believe it. So was there a defining moment in your career as a teacher and principal and everything you were doing where you just realized quilting is my thing? I can actually do this for a living. Well, I kind of put that on my husband because (laughs) a couple of years after I said, I'm going to make quilting my business, he came to me and it was tax time. (laughs) And he said, so, so Jackie, it's not a business if you don't make a profit. (laughs) 
And, and so he was right. I was, I was playing at business. Yeah. And, you know, I was buying things and making things and selling things and teaching, but I wasn't a businesswoman. And so at that point, I wrote a business plan and, you know, I started to act like a businesswoman, which if you want to make a living in the quilting industry, you need to be a business person. I guess I should say it better. You need to be a business person because it's not, you know, fairy tales and bunnies. It can be a slog sometimes. Absolutely. Okay. Now I want to dive into this conversation that I love to have with every single one of my guests and it's all about design. So when you see something in the world that sparks an idea for you, how do you capture that right at the beginning? So I'm uh, a picture taker, so I'll take pictures. Um, But a lot of times, and I do sketch. So I I have lots of sketchbooks in my purse, in the car, in my drawer. (laughs) And so I sketch ideas because a lot of, and a lot of my inspiration honestly comes from, as opposed to physical things that you see, come from feelings, concepts emotions and those you can't take a picture of right and so being able to sketch that draw that write those words you know i had an experience just in the last couple of days we have a a guy jose that works for us and he does landscape work and works our sprinklers stuff like that and jose lost he was laid off just a, a couple of days ago and he called and asked if we had any work for him And so even though he's a legal citizen, his job that laid him off just didn't honor any of their commitments to him. He lost all his vacation. He he just kind of lost everything. And so I sat down and I wrote in a notebook kind of the emotions, the things that I felt as he was talking to me. And so that is an inspiration for future work. Yeah. So that's kind of how it works for me. Yeah, I love how you go beyond the photograph or the visual, you know, or the color inspiration you see in the world and you go into the, what feeling did that evoke or what's happening in the world that I need to capture and share in this quilt? I love how you go beyond, you know, just the visual. Well, and very honestly, I find that the most challenging part of my work is to take an emotion or a feeling or a concept and then create a visual that says that or that evokes that same feeling. It's a challenge. And I don't make loads of quilts with words because I would rather create a visual representation of how I'm feeling or that concept. I mean, I I do make quilts with words, but and there's a big one coming into the quilt con exhibit, but but typically I like to create this visual representation, which is challenging for me. Yeah. So what do you think it is about your designs that you've put out into the world that really resonates with the viewer? I, I guess I say it in terms of graphic impact. You know, I don't want my quilts to kind of sink away. <laughs> Um, And so I think, you know, high contrast and visual impact is, is really important because it draws people further into a piece to find out more. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the quilts. They're also meaningful, but I'm excited to talk about the quilt. So let's start off with a quilt that's going to be coming up at QuiltCon in 2024. It will be in that display. So let's talk about Formula One. So Formula One is a more recent quilt for me. And, you know, I think I'm I'm known for these kind of heavy message quilts, but it, that's not all of who I am. And Formula One is a hobby of mine. And I got into it during the pandemic. My oldest son and I kind of bonded over Formula One racing. And what's so cool about Formula One, first of all, the designs of the cars are just amazing. So amazing curves, amazing lines. They're really sexy and interesting. And then the tracks too. Every track is different as the tour travels around the world and they race on all these tracks. And they've got these great lines and curves and colors. And so I was really inspired by Formula One racing. And this was all happening during the pandemic, which was a time where I wasn't making very much and I wasn't feeling very creative and I wasn't feeling very happy either. But Formula One racing brought me joy. And so Formula One racing is very, it's a really simple quilt. It's based on circles. Um, it was inspired by the tires of Formula One race cars. And so, and the colors are kind of inspired by F1 and the tracks and the teams all have their individual colors. So the colors are kind of interesting and it's a very graphic, minimalist quilt. And then I really played with the quilting too. I'd been studying sacred geometry and all these really interesting linear designs kind of based on the circle. And so the quilting on that, you know, it's got parabolas, it's got stars, it's got all this linear stuff inside circles. So it's just, it was just a really fun quilt to make and it just it's joyful and so I that's that's one of the reasons that I really love that quilt and I just love how you have that connection with your son and even though you know Formula One racing is the thing you're watching and loving together you still have that quilter's mind that goes beyond the connection there and you're you're looking for design inspiration I love that Okay, let's chat about the flower quilt behind you. I can see it. The listeners can't see it right now, but describe that one to us. What's it all about? So actually, this one kind of is in the same line as the F1 quilt. Last spring, in my studio here, I have 13-foot ceilings. So they're really high ceilings. They're really big walls, which are really difficult to fill with anything. And I don't like to be surrounded by a bunch of white walls. So I thought I need to make something gigantic. <laughs> and it was spring and I love to garden. I love, you know, when the crocuses come out and tulips are my favorite flower. And so I thought I'm going to make a flower, but it has to be big. <laughs> so that thing is, I don't know, eight feet high, I guess, yeah. at least. And so I just cut a few simple templates. I did some inset circles. So it's a giant red orange flower. And that's one of my favorite colors. I love orange, but kind of on the red side. And it's giant and it's it's impactful. And every time I walk into the studio, I look at it and smile. I did kind of elongated 
grid quilting on it that where the lines are half inch apart and it creates this kind of beautiful background texture that's really interesting it's a really different kind of grid so i i just i love it it's just a another joyful piece to me yeah for sure and i really want to talk about this this next quilt that we're going to mention because i saw a video about this quilt on youtube and it was you standing in front of the quilt talking and within a few seconds I was in tears. <laughs> I was like, what is happening right now? But this is such a powerful message. So let's talk about Bang and the Aftermath. Yeah, so both of those are um, message quilts. And they're both um, about my commitment to anti-violence. Bang was made based on my husband's work in the city of Chicago. He well, every day in his job, he would go in and the first thing in the morning, he would get an email called the Overnight Violence Report. Oh. And on that report was a list of kids that had been hurt, shot, stabbed, killed in the city of Chicago that went to Chicago public schools. And so for months after we arrived in Chicago and Steve had been working, you know, he started to change physically. You know, his skin was gray. He was just looking haggard. It was, you know, the stress of the job that he had. And I, I think I say it in the description of the quilt. He was wearing the weight of a half a million kids on his shoulders. And then I started to really pay attention. And, you know, those kids don't even make the news, right? I mean, they're just, they're, they're just like they're a statistic. And so I made the quilt to call attention to the violence that's happening in cities across America. And so the, the quilt is disturbing and it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And what I'm proudest of about that quilt is that it has sparked conversation with a lot of people. People either love it or hate it. And they are not hesitant about telling me that, yeah. <laughs> which I'm okay with. Uh, so I'm I'm really proud of that quilt, and it's and what I hate about it is that it's still relevant today. Mm-hmm. You know, you would think in 10, 12 years that we would have made a little bit more progress, but we haven't. But it's it's still part of the conversation, and I hope it will be eventually part of a solution. Yeah, and, and if you're listening right now and you're thinking, what are we talking about? I need to see this quilt. I will put it in the podcast preview. So you need to get on the Quilter on Fire newsletter to make sure that you see that because it is a really bold graphic quilt. Uh, it is an actual gun in the quilt and there's blood dripping out of the gun. Like it's very graphic and bold and, but it's really telling. It makes you, it makes the viewer pause in front of the quilt to realize like, I have to read what this is about because it hits you really hard. It has a lot of good impact. So that's great. I love that you're starting that conversation, whether people love it or hate it, it's really important to have those thoughts and think about it. Right. Well, and the other the other reason that I made it, honestly, is so many of us live in safe neighborhoods. Yeah. We perceive our cities to be places where this doesn't happen, yeah. um, though that so is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's funny. I was teaching in a small town. Uh, I think it was in Arkansas or Oklahoma. And one of the ladies said, well, that doesn't happen here. And mm-hmm. as we were driving to the lecture, we passed a church that was having an event about gun violence in the city. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if it doesn't happen to you, your family, in your neighborhood, it doesn't appear to be a problem. And it is. And then the other quilt is Aftermath. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aftermath was made after the Boston bombing. I was in my studio working and I stopped for lunch, turned on the TV to eat my sandwich. And there was the coverage of that. And I couldn't step away. My husband is a runner. And so that whole environment of this happening just was shocking to me. And I just, I couldn't pull myself away from the TV. And when the coverage ended, the last image I saw was blood on the sidewalk. And I walked right into the studio that minute and made Aftermath, which is a giant blood spot is what it is. And it's so for me, you know, what people forget is that the shooting happens. And, you know, when the news coverage stops, it's not over. You know, there are perpetrators and there are first responders and there are the people involved in the incident, people adjacent to the incident, families, trauma across the country, trauma throughout cities. And that aftermath is important to think about and deal with. And part of that aftermath is creating solutions, doing something about it. And I'm talking acting, not, I hate to say this, but thoughts and prayers. It's not enough. It's about preventing it and seeing that these things don't happen anymore. And so that's why I made that quilt. Yeah. Okay. So I want to still talk about building bridges and chunk. Building bridges is a a quilt I made back in 2013. And we moved from Oskaloosa, Kansas. We were living out on 150 acres there to a 800, 900 square foot apartment in Chicago. And I honestly was kind of scared to death to do that move. But my husband had a new job and off we went. And so I walked around the city with our dog, Bruno, and you know, I was walking under bridges, over bridges, beside bridges. And I didn't know that the city of Chicago was the city of bridges. I really didn't know. But I kept looking at them and thinking about them. And really, I was in that moment of transition, right? From one place to another. And that's what a bridge is all about. It's about making the passage, the transition from two places. And so I went back and designed and made this. And the bridges that run down the center of this quilt really aren't copies of bridges in Chicago. They just have elements of bridges that inspired me, the line, the triangles, the, you know, all of the kind of structural things that are cool about bridges. I tried to bring into the bridges that I made in that quilt and they run down the center of the quilt. And then a friend of mine, Cheryl Schleicher, quilted that quilt for me. 
And in chatting about what I wanted with the quilt, I wanted words to appear. And so Cheryl had the idea to matchstick quilt this quilt. And honestly, I didn't know what matchstick quilting was at the time. Cheryl taught me and she learned it from Yoshiko Jinsenji's books. And what Cheryl did was matchstick this um, quilt on her long arm beautifully. And it's vertically matchsticked. And there are random blue threads throughout, which Cheryl was genius in putting in there. And then she also made words appear in this quilt by not quilting them. So the words are not quilted at all. There's no line quilted around the words, nothing. It's just that they appear because they're unquilted. And the words are passage, span, and connect. And then Kansas City and Chicago. It was a really difficult time for me, which I will say the people of the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild made so much easier for me. But it, it also has a broader meaning for all of us about building bridges between people, between communities, between countries, um, between sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's come to mean um, much more to me than just my own personal journey. Yeah. And this is such a great conversation, such a great message from you, because I think in life, a lot of times we don't realize how much we need to prepare ourselves for a transition. We just think, oh, it's going to be fine. Um, But you really, you know, whether you were prepared or not, you did the work to build a quilt, make a quilt that helped you deal with the transition. And that's such a wise thing to do. I'm thinking right now, maybe I'm going to need to make a quilt for this transition of my child moving to Australia for a year. <laughs> there you go. So what a wonderful concept. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about your quilt called Chomp. So the reason I chose this one, the quilt Chomp, is that it's kind of a really good example of how I like to dive into concepts and techniques. So I really got inspired by the concept of negative space, which is kind of a a concept that runs throughout modern quilting. But but negative space is much more than just lots of space on a quilt. And so I was really interested in studying about figure ground relationships Mm -hmm. and the relationship between positive and negative space and what happens in quilting with that relationship and how quilters can manipulate it. And I stumbled on a book called Notan by Dora Bothwell. And so she's a professor and I worked through the exercises to help me understand. And Notan is the Japanese principle of light and dark. And it's about figure ground relationships. Painters use this concept of Notan to develop paintings, but I read it through the eyes of a quilter. And so one of the things that happens in Notan is that you can achieve this kind of even exchange of the figure and the ground in a design. And Chomp came the closest in the series of um, Notan quilts that I made to achieving that even exchange. It was actually inspired by the teeth of those road graders that eat up asphalt. (laughs) And that's why it's called Chomp. (laughs) But when you look at it visually, 
So sometimes the white will come forward and then sometimes the orange will come forward. And if you squint your eyes, right, it kind of um, flips back and forth. So it's really where neither the foreground or the background is the most important. They have this integration and that's what's happening in that quilt. And I played with that concept over a series of probably 10 quilts. And so I dug deep, did a lot of studying. And so I'm intrigued with how space works in quilts. And it's one of the things that I consider when I design. Yeah. Okay. So I could talk about every single quilt you have in your gallery, but let's just do one more and let's chat about quiet geometry. So quiet geometry is, so first of all, it's reasonably small. So I think it's about 40 by 40 or 48 by 48, something like that. So for me, that's a maquette size, um, which is a test size. Um, And I do a lot of maquette size pieces to test not only design, technique, but also quilting. And so Quiet Geometry really was the test quilt for when I was writing Walk 2.0 for the rotational design chapter. And I was really unsure about whether that chapter should be in the Walk 2.0 book and whether I was pushing walking foot quilting farther than the people really wanted to take it. And my editor said, well, Jackie, you know, if you can do it, other people can do it. And so, so I made a lot of this size quilt with different designs, but to test rotational quilting. And if you look at the quilt, you can see that there are large circles, there are smaller circles, there are different shapes that I use to rotate. There are different numbers of intervals that I use to rotate. Some of them are way more complex. Some of them are simple. And I really, I pushed myself to test Like how small can I go? How many rotations can I go? What shapes can I use? All of those kind of things through this series of quilts. Because if I can't make it work, I can't put it in a book and put it out for other people to try. So so I do a lot of these kind of um, pieces to test those kind of things. And then I go up and I recommend this to everybody when they're learning new quilting designs too. You know, you don't start with something new that you learned on a king size quilt. You just don't, right? Because you're you're learning something new, so you need support. And by making it smaller and more achievable, right, you're supporting yourself in learning and developing muscle memory and developing skill. And then I go and tackle a lap size quilt and then a bed size quilt with those kind of designs. Yeah. And I love how you've taken kind of a simple piecing, made it a little bit more complicated by doing curves, but then you've gone in with the quilting and you've gone beyond what you thought your readers might want to try. So you're really actually reaching out to the beginner, but also the person who's following along in your book who might want to try something new. And I love how your editors said, if you can do it, they can do it because that's so true, right? If if you've learned it, you've learned it so they can learn it too. I love it. And every single bit of that is done with a walking foot. Every single bit of it is done with a walking foot. Yep. It's it's fantastic. It looks like you used, you know, that was it Spirograph, that toy we had as a kid? (laughs) You know, yeah. So I, in fact, it's so funny because I was just looking, they have this anniversary set of Spirograph. So I actually have a Spirograph that I play with 
but they have this anniversary set that expands it and has all these different new parts. And I was kind of going to put that on my Christmas list. (laughs) All the quilters listening right now are madly adding a little addendum to their Christmas list. (laughs) I need the new spirograph. Okay, so we have talked about a whole bunch of the quilts. I want to talk about fabric. Now, you created some fabric with Michael Miller. So tell us about that. Yeah, I did. Michael Miller licensed my Veer quilt, which is a quilt of the United States flag with one, the bottom stripe, veering away from it. And I made that after the 2016 election to kind of express my disappointment in the results and in you know, to remind myself to be an active member and participant in the process here in the United States. Michael Miller licensed that image and we added the word mend on the stripe veering from the flag in an attempt to put a message out that, you know, maybe we need to work together here in the United States to mend the division in this country. And so there were small flags, there were large flags, and there were a couple of companion prints that went along with the line. I never thought I would be a fabric designer, and it was, Mend was a spectacular failure. Oh, no. (laughs) There were just a a few shops that loved me. Yeah. And so, and a few people who loved me who really wanted the line. But even the reps, the fabric reps, wouldn't even show it because to to sell it because it was, in their mind, too controversial and would alienate people. So it didn't sell. And But I'm still proud. And my friend, Michelle D'Amore, who was really the catalyst behind getting Michael Miller to license that image, You know, I'm really proud of the work we did together and that we put that line out into the world. And, you know, you just learn from your failures. So it was it was a great learning experience and a great lesson. And, you know, I feel like we learn so much from failure and that we shouldn't be afraid of it. We shouldn't be afraid of putting yourself out there, putting your work out there. It's not always going to be a success. It's not. Okay, the next thing I want to chat about is your books. You have three wonderful books on the market. And so let's start off with the book. You had a bit of a collaboration with the first one. So who did you write it with and what was the book? I did. The book is Quilting Modern Techniques and Projects for Improvisational Quilts. How about that for a mouthful? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Katie Peterson and I wrote that together. And so I remember when they offered us the contract and they said, You know, we've never had a successful collaboration where people who work together on a book are friends afterwards. Are you sure you want to do this? And, you know, Katie and I talked about it and we kind of put out guidelines for ourselves and we're still friends afterwards. (laughs) And the book was really successful and, you know, it propelled me as a teacher. So, you know, we're really proud of that piece. Yeah. And so the next book that you got into was called Walk because you have such a love for the walking foot. So tell us about that book. 
I mean, I, I learned over time. I started out trying, well, hand quilting, <laughs> gave that up pretty fast. <laughs> when somebody said, why are you doing that? Why don't you machine quilt? I didn't have a really sophisticated machine. And so, but I started out teaching myself to free motion quilt. And over time, I kind of discovered, why am I doing this? Because I really don't love these designs. I don't love the curvy stuff, the swirly stuff, the, I just, I don't love that aesthetically. So why am I spending my time learning this? And when I discovered the walking foot and that it did lines, I was like, I am in my happy place. Mm -hmm. And so I really invested a lot of time in learning how to walking foot quilt. But over time, I was dissatisfied with the number of designs that were kind of out there for walking foot quilters. It wasn't, and there was this attitude like, oh, just walking foot quilt it. You know, it's easy. It's simple. It's, you know, just do some straight lines. It's all all good. And so I didn't like that attitude about that lines are, eh, because they're not. They're just, you know, echoed lines across a quilt are just beautiful. And so it started out with kind of like, I wanted to elevate walking foot quilting into something that was respected and seen as beautiful. And then I also wanted to explore so lines and gentle curves can come together in an infinite number of ways. And there's so many creative, wonderful designs that walking foot quilters can use as well. You know, we don't have to, as walking foot quilters, be the lesser sister. And so I started teaching those. And Suzanne, I was actually going to write a different book with Lucky Spool. And Suzanne said, so Jackie, let's write the walking foot book. And she was right. And I did. And it has been wildly successful. And that's why we wrote Walk 2.0 is I kept coming up with new designs. And Suzanne was like, well, let's put them out there in the world. (laughs) And so we did. And those two books have changed my career. Yeah, it, they are very popular and you're very well known for those books. And there are teachers out there who refer to you and your books constantly. So let's just take a moment here to maybe give one good tip. You know, there's so many ways that quilters can go wrong with line quilting if they're not doing it properly. They can absolutely warp their quilt, right? So what is it about walking foot quilting that can really make a difference for your quilt? So I really think well, there are, there are two things. Okay. So I see people trying to quilt larger quilts with walking foot quilting who are rolling their quilt. They roll one side, they roll the other side, and they, you know, put it through. And while rolling can compress your quilt really well, what's happening with that really is they're making their quilting so much more difficult physically on themselves. And by not being able to access their lap and their chest, because essentially by rolling, you're creating this immovable log, (laughs) you're concentrating the weight of your quilt. And so by using other techniques, um, supporting the quilt on your lap and your chest and a table, and then more 
as opposed to rolling or stuffing yeah. and squishing, but that allows the quilt to open up and, and still go through the harp and not have to throw the quilt over your shoulder. <laughs> so I see a lot of people making that harder for themselves. And then the second thing is puckering, which is an issue for all of us in all kinds of quilting and really understanding about how the walking foot works and how your machine works with presser foot pressure is really the number one way to prevent puckers. Because if your walking foot is giving you an even feed as it should, as it is designed to, that's what you paid for. <laughs> so if you're not getting an even feed, there are ways to adjust your machine. Well, I still say 99, 95% of machines out there have a presser foot pressure adjustment. And that can make all the difference for you not to get those whiskers that we see, you know, those ripples or actual puckers in a quilt. And that can be so frustrating and really debilitating for a lot of people because when they don't have success, they, you know, send their work out and they quilt by checkbook or they don't quilt at all. Yeah. And I want to see people have success and happy experiences, not frustrating experiences with walking foot quilting. Yeah, absolutely. So if they're interested in purchasing any any of your books, where are they available? So please go to your local quilt shop. Most of them either have that book or will order it for you. And we all just need to support our local shops. You know, if you have to go to Amazon to get it, fine, go there. But you can also go to your local library. There are many libraries that have the walk book or the library of your guild or organization may have the book if you want to check it out, look at it, see if it works for you. And then if you want to get your own copy, you can do that as well. Yeah, that is great advice. Okay. So I want to get into your website because you have a gorgeous gallery on your website. So what's the name of your website and what can we find there? So I actually have multiple websites, but the primary website is JackieGearing.com. Please don't beat me up that I'm not really good at updating my website. <laughs> like I said, you know, the technical part of business just really doesn't thrill yeah. me or excite me. But I also, I have links there where you can get to my blog. There's a lot of good information there. You can also get to my other site, which is called Rethink Quilting. Yeah. But there's a gallery there of my quilts. I typically, if I list a quilt for sale, it's on my website. I like to have books for sale on the website, but they sell out so fast. Oh, yeah. I literally put them up and then they're gone. So it's it's hard to find books in stock on my website because it takes a while for them to get to me. I list them and then they're gone. So, So it might be better to get books from your local shop you'll get them faster than from me yeah okay and if you want to go there the website is jackiegearing.com so j-a-c-q-u-i-e and gearing is g-e-r-i-n-g.com okay okay so i would love to talk a little bit about some of the wonderful travels you've done over time so what are some of your favorite quilting events that you have attended oh gosh so many, so many, but I've had, and I've had experiences all over this country, all over the world. I, I'm so fortunate to have taught so many people, 
but a couple stand out in my mind. And one of those is a trip to Newfoundland. Um, I, you know, being Canadian, I never thought I would explore that part of the country. I remember my dad telling me before he died that he really regretted the one place that he had never been was Newfoundland in Canada. And I got an invitation and my husband and I went together and it was to St. John's and it was just magical. The people, as in most of my trips, are were just lovely and welcoming. I learned so much. Steve and I hiked and enjoyed the countryside. The food was amazing. The city of St. John. So the houses are painted all these beautiful, bright colors. And it's a tradition from long ago where ships coming home could see their home and they're pink and lime green and red and blue. And I walked up and down those streets and was in heaven. It's just a beautiful place. So if you ever want to go visit, teaching there was a wonderful experience. I taught multiple places, met so many great people. As And all a lot of my teaching experiences are that way. I, I also really loved the events that I held in Kansas City. So my goal was to kind of stop being on the road so much because I literally was on the road more than I was home. And so I worked with a friend of mine in Kansas City as an event planner, Betsy. And Betsy and I planned events in Kansas City where people came to me. And we kept them very small, only 15 people. And we did a long weekend of... Sometimes it was walking foot quilting, it was composing with line, it was studying negative space, but 15 really dedicated, wonderful people would come. We would always do an artistic event, whether it was visit a gallery or go to the Nelson Art Gallery here in Kansas City, and then we would learn, we would eat together. So it was social, it was artistic, and it was skill and technique based. There was a lot of learning that went on, but we essentially developed a family with those people. And they're some of my most memorable students over the years were the ones that came here to Kansas City. Yeah, The pandemic kind of put a, a kibosh on that for us, and I haven't continued it since. But it, it those were some of the greatest teaching experiences that I had. Yeah. And what I'm hearing more than anything else about the whole conversation of teaching all over the world, wherever you've been, is that the people are the most important thing for you. Yeah. I mean, so just like teaching kids, you know, it's not about the subject. I mean, it's about the people and it's about them learning and having a great experience and, you know, walking away from a class ready to do more, ready to learn more and happy that's what teaching is for me. So I, I enjoy every class that I teach. You know, I'm not saying that they're not challenging because they are. And I work really hard to do a good job for the people who are enrolled in my classes. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, even though you, even though they are challenging, something about what you're doing seems so achievable because some of the quilts in your gallery are like these astonishing works of art, but then they will have walking foot quilting that is it's like matchstick quilting, but it's a zigzag instead or something like that. So it's really achievable as well as challenging. And, you know, I, I mean, I want to put out there to everyone that 
you know, so in the quilting world, we, we value complexity and intricacy. You know, how many times do you hear people say, this quilt has 40,852 pieces in it and it's in five years. You know, I mean, and and that's great. But I stand up and say, this quilt has eight pieces and it took me, you know, eight weeks to think about and a day to make, you know. Um, simple is both beautiful and challenging. So while walking foot quilting and, and, some of the simple work that I do, and I do a lot of simple work, it, it still doesn't mean it's not valuable yeah. and, and challenging because it is, it is. Yeah. Because it has 30 years of thought put into it in history, right? Some of it has a lot of thought and, <laughs> and, you know, so I think I'm, I'm trying to um, get that message out that it doesn't have to be fancy or complicated, or take 40 years to be beautiful. All of those things can be beautiful, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, there are two questions I love to ask on every podcast. They're coming up right now, and it's just before the break, but is there a quilt or quilt project that has been most memorable for you? I know it's probably hard to pick one, but what pops into your mind is really memorable? So funny. Um, so I have a quilt um, that I started back in 2012, 12, and it's still not finished. And I think it's probably one of the most memorable just because it's been with me for so long. It was very challenging to make. And it sat on my design wall in Chicago in three different houses in Kansas city. And it is still here now in this studio. (laughs) And I attempted to quilt, I quilted half of it and I ripped it all out and I'm still not finished with it, but I am committed to finishing it. And so I think it's, it's the one that's been the biggest struggle for me. And so I think it's my most memorable. It's the one I think about the most often. So it's that piece. And what do you think it's going to take for you to get it finished? So I really thought it would be this exhibit at QuiltCon. I really, I really thought that, that that would be the impetus to finish it. But it's just I, I haven't come up with what I want to do with it yet. And so I don't know. I, I don't want to call it the elephant in the room because I do love it. Yeah. Um, but it just. You know, and and I think sometimes we get paralyzed because we want it to be so perfect. And I think that's where I am with this quilt and I don't want to be there with it, but I admit I am. Okay. So my last question before the break is in your quilting world, what brings you joy? So I really think, I mean, I'm really lucky right now that I have a studio away from the house. Um, but even when my studio was in a bedroom in the in my house, uh, I love being alone with design. Uh, I I love playing with shapes. I love playing with lines. Um, I love the quiet. Um, there's no music here. There's no TV here. It's just this silence 
and me in design. And I get a lot of joy from that. I I just, I love it. And whether I even make something from it, it doesn't really matter to me. It's It's just playing with that whole design process that I just, I live for. That is so sweet. Okay, so right now we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to dive deeper into Jackie's studio space. She'll describe that to us. We'll talk about her teaching and speaking that she loves to do the most. And the big news coming up in 2024, she's the featured speaker at QuiltCon. We'll be right back. First, before I jump into this ad spot today, I just want to thank you for your patience with my voice on this episode. I had such a bad cold on that day, and my head was exploding, which we both found quite funny at the time, but that's the way life rolls sometimes. And for my ads today in this holiday episode, I'm going to put out a big appreciation for my advertisers. First and foremost, So Yeah Quilting. These three brothers have treated me so kindly, purchased so many ad spots, half of my ad spots, in fact, for the entire year. They've lifted me up as a creator, mentored me to get my act together on YouTube, and so much more. A special thank you to Brody, Tiankum, Zach, and the Soya family for all they do for the quilting community. And I want to say a huge thank you to the big shops, the little shops, the creators and pattern designers who have purchased one ad or a few. Without the ads, this podcast would not be a thing. And it is the thing that has brought me so much joy. It's my community, and I hope it has brought you joy too. Now, as a listener, how can you be of support? Please check out the advertisers you hear on the podcast. Click on those links in the email, take advantage of the coupon codes, get involved in their events. When you support the advertisers, you support this podcast. And of course, you can like and follow and share and buy me a coffee or leave a review. Thank you for all of your support. And now let's get back to the podcast. And we are back with Jackie Gearing. Jackie, can you describe your studio space for us? Where do you create? Sure. So our house that we live in is on the east side of downtown. And my studio is on the west side of downtown. So I just crossed downtown to come here. It's kind of a unique building in the neighborhood. Everyone um, here in our neighborhood calls it the cube. Huh? It's actually a big concrete cube. Um, with a 700 square foot apartment on the top and a two car garage on the bottom. And so I have the whole 700 square feet, which essentially is a kitchen and living room and then a large bedroom and bathroom. And so I use this as my studio space. The bedroom is where I sew. I have two machines set up in there, one that I piece on and one that I quilt on. And then I have two design walls in that room on opposite sides, so I can have many pieces going at the same time. Like I said earlier, it has 13-foot ceilings and lots of natural light, which is great. The kitchen kind of living room, I have my cutting station and my ironing station so that I have to walk from one room to the other all the time. Because I believe quilting is a physical sport and we shouldn't be sitting on our butt all the time. (laughs) I have to go back and forth and back and forth from room to room all the time. Oh, that's great. So that's how my space is set up. 
Well, it sounds like a dream space for sure. And I think one of my past guests, Rose Parr, who's a physiotherapist, she would love what you're doing because she always talks about getting up, stretching, moving around. And she said, you don't need that little triangle. You need to get up and move. Yeah, I don't believe in the little triangle. I believe in a big triangle. I damaged my neck way back in 2012, quilting too many hours on a bad chair with bad posture. And I ended up in physical therapy and really messing myself up physically. And so really having the right physical setup for me is really important. I have the Bernina chair, which is a game changer because you can change angles and height and and really get yourself in the ideal position for both piecing and quilting. And then I'm up on my feet and up and down the stairs and up and down ladders on the design wall. So it's it's a, a physical sport for me. And I try and keep myself in shape. And so I can do this for a long time. Okay, so let's talk about when you quilt. What is your favorite time of day to create? Well, so now that I, I mean, because I have a studio away from home, right? I have to get up, handle whatever has to happen at the house and then get over here. We are early risers in our house. We're like five thirty, six o'clock risers. Olive gets us up early. And so I'm typically over here by eight in the morning. Yeah. And I try and put in a good eight to five in the studio. That sounds like a dream life to me. <laughs> I mean, what's really nice is that, you know, there are no interruptions here. I can't go do laundry. I can't, you know, I, I just can't, I can't do any of those kind of things. And that was the challenge that I had with a home studio because it's really easy to be distracted by other things and, you know, go out and weed flowers. And (laughs) I mean, I, so here, and like I said, it's quiet. Nothing disturbs me unless I let it. And so, and like I said earlier in the podcast, you know, work is important. And so getting here to do the work is important. I also divide out my day so that I'm not quilting more than two hours at a time. And I'm talking about the physical act of um, quilting. Um, So I only do two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. Everything else is design, piecing, drawing, you know, thinking, those kind of things. I do no more than that physically, um, because it's just not good for me. Yeah, it's actually really great advice for people. And it's so nice to get a little sneak peek into a day in the life of Jackie Geary. (laughs) So you don't consider yourself a competitive quilter, but how do you show your quilts to the world? Um, So I don't. I'm really not much for the whole competition thing. I understand that it's competition to get your quilt into an exhibit, into an art center, into, you know, so I work hard to do those kind of things. I'm not much, if I can, like at QuiltCon, choose for exhibit only, I do, and stay out of the competitive part of those kinds of shows. But I enter and, you know, I send my quilts off to exhibits and do my own exhibits and, you know, so I, I want my quilts to be seen in the world. It's just not important to me. I, I don't believe that you can put a blue ribbon on a piece. I just, I just kind of don't believe it. I mean, what I said earlier about, I'm really happy standing alone. Yeah. You know, so I have valued friends and colleagues that when I want and need feedback, you know, we do that. 
And I think feedback is important. You know, when I'm stuck, I mean, even my husband, honestly, can give good feedback. Going to my colleagues, people that I admire and value, those are the people that I need feedback from. And, you know, I'm not afraid to (laughs) my son to say, so mom, that's crap. Let me tell you why. (laughs) I'm totally good with that. But I don't believe Judge Shows is is where you get that. You know, the QuiltCon acceptances came out in the last few days, acceptances and non-acceptances. And, you know, I, I saw a little bit on social media about this means I'm not good enough. And I commented on that quilter's post and I said, all this means is that you got a non-acceptance. I mean, I've entered plenty of shows where I've been rejected. Yeah. And so, and that's, that's okay. It, it happens. It's part of, you know, people curating an exhibit. Yeah. Um, so, and, but those kind of feelings, I mean, I understand how it's felt deeply and no one likes to be rejected. Mm-hmm. I don't like to get that email that says, you know, your piece isn't right for this show. Yeah. I don't like it either, yeah. but it surely doesn't mean that I'm not good enough, that my quilt isn't good, that, I mean, it just means it's not right for this exhibit. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think there is joy and skill and effort in all of our work. Yeah. And I think we need to put it out in the world. I think we need to see it. I think we need to enjoy it or hate it. You know, I don't like every quilt. I absolutely don't. But I appreciate and I know what goes into it. I appreciate art in general. There's loads of art in the world that is not my taste that I don't love. But that's the nature of art and quilting as an art and craft. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your teaching and speaking. So what are your most popular workshops? So the walking foot quilting workshops are the most popular by far. (laughs) And very honestly, I'm not teaching many piecing workshops right now at all because I have more work than I can handle with the walking foot quilting (laughs) workshops. So what are you teaching at QuiltCon this year? So I'm teaching in two advanced walking foot classes. Okay. And of course you do lectures as well. So Tell us about a few of your lectures and what are you talking about at QuiltCon? So I do lots of different lectures on walking foot quilting, on inspiration, on finding inspiration, on design. My lectures are pretty varied. And so I love to talk about quilts. I love to talk about my own work, other people's work. So talking about quilts is is just really fun. Um, so at QuiltCon, uh, I actually chose the title for my lecture a year ago. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that's changing because over the last couple of months, last two or three months, I've finally narrowed down the 26 quilts that are going to be in the exhibit. I've established the theme for the exhibit, which is belonging. And so I think the the lecture will focus really on on the exhibit and kind of the message that I want to get across to people so that they walk out of the lecture knowing who I am both as a person and as a quilter and kind of who I am as an artist, as a mom, as a friend, as an advocate, 
as a teacher. So I think really that's kind of going to be the focus of the the lecture at QuiltCon. Oh, that sounds really good. And that is such big news that you are the featured speaker at QuiltCon. So can we take a step back in time and talk to you a little bit about the early beginnings of your involvement with the Modern Quilt Guild and QuiltCon? So I've pretty much been involved with the Modern Quilt Guild since its inception, when it was just a seed and an idea. And, you know, Latifa and Elisa formed the LA Modern Quilt Guild to kind of kick the ball rolling. And I was jealous. (laughs) I was like, why do you guys get that? Yeah. (laughs) And I was told, well, start your own. And so we did here in Kansas City. And so I started out as the president of the Kansas City Modern Quilt Guild. I became involved with the advisory board for the development of the Modern Quilt Guild. That turned into chairman of the board of directors for more years than I want to kind of remember. I led the really the early development of the guild along with a lot of other people, a really great team. And, you know, I transitioned to an advisory board member. And now I really have no formal role with the Modern Quilt Guild at all. I just kind of watch proudly from the outside as it continues to grow and develop. So how does it feel to kind of come full circle and now be asked to be the featured speaker? It's weird. <laughs> so I'm way better at being the worker bee and yes. the person behind the scenes doing the work. I feel way more comfortable there than I do kind of in this role. So how did they approach you? Did they sort of send you an email? Did they pop on a Zoom with you and say, hey, wait a minute, you know what? We're thinking we're going to have you as the big deal. So how did they approach you? You know, I know all the people that work for, they're all friends um, and colleagues. And so, you know, it wasn't, I'm I'm sure it just wasn't a big deal. It was kind of like, well, it's time, Jackie. So it's, it's quite an honor. I don't want to put it out there that I'm not excited about it because I am. Yeah. Um, it's been a really challenging thing thinking about what quilts would go in the exhibit, the story I want to tell the things that I want to show, you know, in my development. So I think there's a, there's going to be a good mix of old work and, and new work to kind of show people where I started and where I'm planning to go. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited about your special exhibit. I'm sure that your classes are already full, but if they're not, everyone should go and check those out right away because there's going to be some great walking foot classes at QuiltCon 2024. And I'm also very much looking forward to your lecture. So now it's time for the lightning round, Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions and it's super fun. Are you ready? All right, off we go. Okay, so let's get started by asking you, what is your favorite notion? Oh gosh, my favorite notion probably is my compass. It's a carpenter's compass, not kind of the regular school compass that you would see. But that is, I use it all the time for drafting templates, drafting curves, marking rotational designs. I use it all the time. And it's a really unique kind of tool that not many quilters have, I think. Yeah, carpenter's compass. Okay, what is the thing in your quilting world that helps you grow? 
my husband. <laughs> That's a my good thing. Husband, I, I think my husband and my kids, uh, a couple of months ago, my oldest son came to me and he said, you know, mom, well, I really like these designs. They're getting kind of old. So those those three really do push me in directions that I probably wouldn't go myself. And I trust them more than anyone else in the world. So I listen to their opinions. Oh, that is great. Do you have any kind of personal reward system for getting things done? Well, yeah, I guess I do. Like quilting is tedious. And it's challenging in a lot of ways. And I also have a little bit of quilters ADD, especially with the quilting process. And so I always set goals, like I'm going to finish, you know, 10 inches. And then my reward is always taking the quilt out of the machine, hanging it on the design wall. And I sit back in my chair and I look at it and kind of look at, well, it looks good. (laughs) And I pat myself on the back and, you know, get a drink or a snack or whatever. And then I go back and set another goal. So because tackling a lot of the complex walking foot quilting is very time consuming and very tedious and very repetitive, which I'm not really good at. And so I have to set small achievable goals so that I can make that process kind of work for me. Yeah, that's a great idea, actually, to get it off the machine and put it on the wall and revel in your success. (laughs) Okay, so is there a skill that you'd still love to learn in quilting? Yeah, so I would love to be good at hand applique. I do it a little bit, but my hands are not very arthritic, but my hands hurt. And honestly, I save them for hand binding, which I really like. Um, But the physical manipulation of hand applique is really challenging for me. So I I do it. I probably don't do it enough, but that's something that I would really love to master and do more often. Okay. Have you had any weird, funny, or crazy quilting moments? Yeah. So I finally went to the emergency room with a quilting accident. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah. I have a favorite seam ripper that is handmade and very long and very sharp. And I didn't know that you weren't supposed to have seam rippers that are round that will roll on a table. And this one rolled off the table. And instead of just letting it fall, I grabbed for it. And in the process, I stabbed it through the top of my thigh. And I was alone in the studio here, which I love to be, with my hand on my thigh and blood squirting out. And my cell phone was in the other room. And (laughs) so I hobbled over to the other room, called my husband and said, I think I have a problem. No. And I got my first stitches that I've ever had in my life. Wow. Entertain the surgeon in the emergency room or the doctor in the emergency room. He was thrilled. He was like, oh my God, I'm so sick of people coming in here with cold. At least this is something interesting. (laughs) So I'm so glad to be your entertainment, but I have this lovely scar on the top of my thigh and I no longer use that seam ripper because I was told that nothing sharp should be round. Yeah. Um, I I think I have a beautiful wooden one sitting over there that's round for sure. Yep. And so learn my lesson. Yeah. Okay. Has there been a mentor who's really influenced you along your journey? 
Uh, yeah. So my friend Wanda, I actually met Wanda online. We never met in person in the entire time I knew her. Wanda was so knowledgeable and we met online just randomly through blogs, me commenting over and over. And we finally talked on the phone, right? And we talked on the phone many times. Wanda actually taught me how to piece hexagons without marking over the phone. Uh, She had so much knowledge. And I was complaining about piecing hexagons and having to mark all the quarter inches and blah. And I was just complaining. And she was like, well, why are you doing it that way? And she, she was a very traditional quilter. But she had so much knowledge that she was willing to share with someone who was just stupid and really didn't know anything about about quilting at all. And she shared so many pearls of wisdom with me in the time that I knew her. And so, yeah, so Wanda was my mentor and uh, teacher, um, but we never actually met in person. Oh, she she really was an influence for me. Oh, that's great. Okay. Do you have any odd or unusual collections of things? (laughs) So I, I collect lots of things, but probably, you know, the weirdest is like stuff from my son's musical tours. Uh, Like they get, like if they sell out a show, they'll do a, a custom skateboard deck. Yeah. And, you know, I always post on his Instagram or email him and say, do I get one of those? (laughs) And I have autographed pictures. I have drum heads. I have drumsticks autographed by all the band members. I have photo. I mean, I I just, I have album covers. I have, I buy all their vinyls and because they're so colorful and fun and frame all of those. So I have a whole collection of kind of musical memorabilia of my son. Oh, that is so cool. They open up a museum one day. You will just have everything and it can just go straight there. Well, we call it the John Wall in my house (laughs) where it's all displayed. And he's like, mom, you're running out of room. And I'm like, I don't care. Oh, how sweet. Okay. Do you have another favorite hobby besides quilting? So I really love gardening. I love being outside. I love my hands in the dirt. I just, I, I really love, and spring is, is one of my favorite times of year. I love to plant things. I love to nurture things. So it, it's just one of the things that I really just love to do. And I love to do the hard work, like the digging and the hauling of the rock and the mulching and the, I mean, all of that just gives me um, a real sense of accomplishment. Yeah. It's a really good exercise too. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Do you have any furry friends in your studio? Yeah. So my dog right now is Olive. Um, Olive is a rescue. She's a pit bull lab mix. She's, she doesn't like it here in my studio. It's, it's so funny. She's, she's really good with me when I'm sewing at home, but when my husband and I lived in our studio temporarily, it was a really crowded place. And Mm -hmm. She just didn't love it here. The only place that she really loves to be when I bring her here, there's a balcony off my kitchen here and she will lay out on the balcony and lord over the neighborhood and be really happy. But she doesn't really want to be in my studio. Um, she likes to lay under my, um, where I have my quilting Bernina 
And, you know, we use a foot pedal. So all of us, she has zoomed my machine more often than I want to admit by laying on top of my foot pedal. <laughs> and so those experiences have not been, uh, they've been a little traumatic for her. So she doesn't really love coming to the studio with me. Oh, well, that was really fun then. There's one more question I want to ask you because Olive is such an adorable name and all of the names that you have for your quilts are so wonderful. So how do you come up with the names for your quilts? So typically the names are, they come from the design and the concept, the memory, the, you know, like I talked about writing those words in the book, you know, so a, a lot of the names come from that or the inspiration, you know, like the the silly flower quilt because that's what it was and it's just like it's a flower yeah because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what the inspiration I wanted so th- the names are not complex usually it, it it typically comes from the inspiration of the piece yeah and I love the names like unparalleled where just all the lines in the quilt are actually not parallel <laughs> and exactly and- it's it's not, it It seems, maybe it seems more interesting than the names really are, but unparalleled was the concept for that quilt. All the lines are not parallel. So, yeah. Um, okay. So thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was super fun. So I've mentioned your website at JackieGearing.com where we can find your beautiful gallery and everything that you offer, but where's the best place for quilters to connect with you on social media? So the only social media that I'm on is Instagram. Okay. Um, I've deleted my Facebook account. I'm no longer on Twitter. I'm not I'm not on anything else except for Instagram and I'm Jackie TPS. Jackie TPS. Okay. Yep. We can find you there and follow along with what's going on. Now, as we wrap up, Jackie, I can't believe that this episode is coming to an end, but as we wrap up, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? Oh gosh. I mean, you know, I guess, you know, the purpose of going on things like this is really just to let people know kind of the things behind the work. Because, you know, a lot of people see me an hour in a class or they see my pieces. And I know when I'm interested in quilters, you know, I want to know their process and I want to know how they think. And I want to know those kind of things behind the scene. And so that's what I hope people kind of will come away with. Yeah. Well, Jackie, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing bits of your story today. Thanks, Brandy. I really appreciate it. So that was my show with Jackie Gearing. One thing that delighted me about her story was how a common love for Formula One racing with her son has inspired her quilt making. Something she does that really inspires me is making quilts that speak a message. And finally, one very exciting thing to watch for coming up is that Jackie Gearing will be the featured speaker with a very special exhibit of 26 of her quilts at QuiltCon 2024. I can't wait to be sitting in that audience at her lecture and taking it all in. And I loved sharing her story with you. 
Be sure to connect with me if you'll be at QuiltCon 2024. I'd love to meet you there. And if you're not going to be at that live event, go right now to Facebook or Instagram and make sure you're following The Quilter on Fire to get a play-by-play of what's happening at the event in February. Now, do you own a quilty biz? The Quilter on Fire podcast has gone from 1,000 to almost 7,000 downloads per week over the last year, and we are about to hit 500,000 downloads for all time. If you advertise anywhere, why not consider a podcast ad? Quilter on Fire podcast ads bring great value and they are not just here and gone. The ad stays up for the life of the podcast. Drop me a quick message or email me at brandy at quilteronfire.com to get your podcast ad into the ears of thousands of quilters today. Do you want to help make the Quilter on Fire podcast even better? Leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Tell me what's helping you, what's inspiring you, what you want to hear more of, or what would put an extra smile on your face to listen to while you're quilting. Seriously, I want to know. So please leave that review. I can't wait to hear from you. I'll finish today's podcast with another heartfelt holiday greeting. Whether you celebrate this holiday season or not, I send you a virtual hug, especially if the holidays are a hard time for you. Hugs, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire. And I wish you many wonderful years of quilting fun. All the best to you for 2024.